0: Beautiful day in the neighborhood. Archie is the name of the new royal baby. Prince Harry, Meghan Markle, Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Archie. I think they only have a small number of names they can pick from, right? Naming babies? I can't even imagine if somebody restricted the number of names that you could use. Naming babies is really hard. Anyone who's done it? That's about as pressure-packed as it gets until your kid writes on the wall. You know, for the first little while, they're pretty easy to take care of. They might cry a little bit, have to change diapers, but until they start doing something or they come home with thirteen percent on a test, naming the child is hard. Really, it's a stressful thing. You are going to put a name on somebody that they are going to have to live with. For their entire lives. Unless, of course, they really, really don't like it and legally change it. That does happen. But, boy, oh, boy, when you think about it, you have to put a lot of thought into it. Well, I've
1: been thinking, if the baby's a boy, what do you think of the name Larry?
2: March. we can't do that. Well, how about Louie? We'll call him Screwy Louie. Bob? Club. Luke? Puke. Marcus? Mucus. What about Bart? Let's see. Bart Cart. Dart Nope. Can't see any problem with that. See?
0: It doesn't matter what name you pick. You have to think ahead like that. You have to think like a schoolyard kid. That's where it goes to. It goes right to the playground. So if you pick a name, you have to think about what the kids are going to call them. And I know kids are supposed to be nicer now. And I, we have to take a second to credit the upstander program because that's, that's really well done these days. Bullying will always exist, unfortunately, I'm not in favor of that, but it'll always exist because we're human beings and we spend a lot of time judging ourselves against others. If you can take that away, if we can stop being walking balls of emotion, then maybe you can completely eradicate bullying. Until then, it's probably not going to happen because it does happen and it will continue to do so. You can't give people... A bullseye on them. You have to be really careful. And you know what the other thing is? You could switch to a popular name. Archie, I don't know, is it popular now in Britain? Is this because of Riverdale? Did Meghan Markle almost get to Riverdale? Was she supposed to be somebody's mom? I don't know. But... Maybe that's where it comes from. I doubt it. Normally royal names, you've got to follow the royal progression and they pull out the scroll and isn't that how they do it? And here's your choices. You have these choices. Archie is probably becoming more popular, but you have to find a name that nobody else has because you could pick the popular name. And then all of a sudden, you are one of three Johns in your class. And then you have to be John B. or John F. And you never quite have your own identity when you look over and you see somebody with a strange name and you say, wow, your parents named you Flockhart after the Philadelphia Flyers guy. Is that it? Oh, but no one knows any other Flockharts. That's unique. You you get to have your own name. You get to have your own identity. 519-643-2222, 5196432222 if you could change your name now if you have dealt with issues all your life because of what people named you normally your parents a long time ago would you would you have done it if you could have gotten to the age of i don't know you can't really let people go too long they need names so and you can't really let a 5 year old pick their own name we'd have a lot of you know turkey or purple or something like that walking around you can't have that that can't be a thing. But if you could actually change your name, would you change your name today? 519 643 You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca or you can tweet me at Stubbs980. We are going to talk wild animals on the show. We're going to talk about research being done into mental health issues for migrant populations and people suffering from epilepsy. We're going to talk about where cannabis is consumed and where alcohol is consumed. We're going to be joined by the captain of the 2013 Sutherland Cup champion, London Nationals. But I'm interested to lead off and talk about what's in a name. Marilyn, if you could change your name. Would you change it, or are you happy having been Marilyn all well, eighty-four I'm, of your years?
1: I'm pretty well stuck with it, but I like uh, Alexandra.
0: That's what you would have preferred to oh, have been called. Oh gosh, yes, I love that name. You have Alexander. lived here for eighty-four years, and you're just saying now you would you would go back and change your name to Alexandra?
1: Well, I'll tell you, it was named for Marilyn Miller, the Broadway star. Who made um, Look for the Silver Lining whenever a cloud appears in the sky? That was the um, uh, big hit back then.
0: Well, that's a great person to be named after. That well, gives yeah. all kinds of optimism.
1: Yeah, but I. Did. It doesn't suit me. I think Alexandra. I just love it, and I don't like Chief. And I love I love Harry and and uh, Megan, but Artie's her a, a baby's name. No, I don't like it.
0: Way better I, than Jughead.
1: Oh my God! Where did they come up with a name like that? <laughs> well, anyways, dear, I named. Uh, we had no trouble naming our
0: children. You didn't find that stressful?
1: No. Norman wanted, he liked Jimmy, so we called him James Robert, and after Norman's Norman Norman, Robert. And Caroline, Caroline from Caroline Kennedy, because I love John Kennedy, so um, she got Caroline Susan. And uh, Mary Angela, after the principal of Capital Central High School, because she was so beautiful and um, Lori Ann after a soap opera star.
0: Well, you know what? You had great ideas in behind things, and I love that you've got this star power. Your family has star power. For anybody who doesn't know Marilyn's family, they have some star power. So Marilyn or Alexandra, if if I can call you that for a moment.
1: Oh, you can Call me that. Yes, I you, love that. You
0: have a great day, Alexandra. And
1: I'm not, not going to tease you any more about DOG.
0: Oh, oh, you can. Don't worry. I deserve to be teased about dogs. No. I've, I still haven't picked one out for Mother's Day, though.
1: Oh, are you really going to give her a dog?
0: No, no, no. I haven't picked one out. Well, um,
1: no. Look at dear. Give her a picture of a dog.
0: That's a good idea. A nice picture of a dog. Give Alexandra, her- you have a good afternoon. <laughs> Dear, I love you. <laughs> love you too. Bye, Bye-bye. Marilyn. Five one nine, six four three, twenty
3: two twenty two. Richard. Good afternoon, Mike. How are you? I'm excellent. I just wanna make a quick comment right before we talk about the name Archie. I'm glad to hear that General Motors is going to keep a small footprint. And all hey, cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not as good as it could be, but you're well, right. No. The
3: small footprint is something. 300 jobs, right, compared to 2,300, right, that are going to be leaving. All I've got to say, though, to the province, right, and to the federal federal government as well, and this goes to future governments as well, if that's the best that General Motors, right, can guarantee us in the future, no more taxpayers' money. Now we'll get back right to the discussion that Mike is talking about. The name Archie right. No, that definitely wouldn't be a name that I would pick. And, you know, Mike, I've never known anybody with that name in my entire life, but one of my favorite actors, do you remember Carol O'Connor?
0: Yes, I do. Played Archie Bunker.
3: Yes, his name was Archie Bunker, and that was one of my all-time favorite shows. Obviously, that wouldn't be a politically correct show in today's (laughs) era, but anyways, right, that was my favorite show. No, I wish they could have chose a different name than Archie. That's definitely not the name I would pick. And uh, anyways, right... My name, Richard, I like that name that my father and mother gave me back in 54. And no, I wouldn't change that at all, Mike. But anyways, I just wanted to make that comment. What name would you have chosen, Mike, very quickly, if that had been your boy?
0: If that had been my... I still like Jack. That's what we named our son, and I would still go with that. I wouldn't change that. Now, I have one question for you, Richard, before we go. You have remained Richard for your life when you have a name that often gets shortened to Rick or Dick or Ricky, or did you ever go through life with any of
3: those? Yes, I did. (laughs) I can always remember the first time very quickly, Mike, when I heard the name Ricky. It used to be a place right on the corner of uh, Hamilton Road and Rectory. It was called Bob's Fish and Chips, but every time I would go there, there was a dishwasher, a beautiful elderly lady. Her name was Ivy, and every time I'd go to Bob's Fish and Chips, right, she would always call me Ricky, and she would say, oh, you're so cute, Ricky, but then she made things right, Mike. You know what she would do? She would slip me a dollar bill, and then I wouldn't mind being called Ricky, but I can always remember as a kid, right, going through life, right, by that lady, right, calling me Ricky. No, I always preferred the name Richard or Rick. But on that note, you have a good afternoon, Mike.
0: Have a great day. Richard, thank you so much. 519-643-2222. Taking a couple minutes to talk names. Archie, that is the new royal baby's name. Now, should you be allowed to name yourself? Well, Graham actually just emailed and he said, didn't Peekaboo Street name herself when she was three? I got to look that up. See, that's a perfect three-year-old example. That's why I said we'd have a lot of people walking around. What's your name? I am Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. I am Purple. I am Cookie Monster. Five one nine six four three twenty two twenty two. If you could change your own name, would you? Ron? Hey, Mike. You happy with Ron? That,
4: um. Yeah. Good. Uh, in Big Daddy with Adam Sandler. When he's talking to the kid. That's and right. And, and he's a five-year-old kid. He allows hey, him to name himself. Wh- what does he name himself? Frankenstein.
0: Frankenstein.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen that movie a couple times in the last little while. So, yeah. So,
0: yeah if you allow a child to name themselves, chances are they're going to pick a name that they'll probably want to change later.
4: And, and Bob's Fish and Chips mm-hmm. There's a flashback. But anyway, um, Ron I'm very comfortable with. Although when I was a kid... I got Scrawny Ronnie. Mm -hmm. I got Ronnie Hawkins Mm -hmm. after the Rock and Roll Star, which used to live here in London, by the way, and started the band, the rock band, the band.
0: Yeah, that's right.
4: Yeah, and um, I got Ronald McDonald.
0: See, you always have to think ahead to the schoolyard.
4: And and you know from in the past, uh, word is out now. People, my alias, <laughs> I've uh, used Tyrone a few times.
0: <laughs> you know, well, and, hey, and you, sometimes and you, if you're going to talk about a sensitive subject, that's if an author's going to write a book that they think is going to be a little sensitive, that's why we get those you, pen
4: names. You've met me a few times. I'm a pretty tall, tall guy, uh-huh. lots of hair, thin guy. You know, Tyrone is tough. Tyrone <laughs> has muscles.
0: Ron, I love it. Yeah. Be whoever you want to be. Maryland's changing to Alexander, I think, after all these years. Thanks for the call. Okay. later, man. Bye-bye. <laughs> 519-643-2222. Quick little bit on names. Lance, that's, that is yeah. that is a name. Is this your real name is Lance? That's right. That yeah, is outstanding.
5: My... Yes. Um, but but my my uh, Archie is as funny as it is or as
6: funny as it comes. But when you look at it, and if you did read the comic book, Archie was the guy that got all the girls. But on another positive note, you know he's still a baby.
5: It's not for us to decide what name he should have.
0: No, I mean it, 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 you're meaning it comes down to the parents.
5: Exactly, exactly. I mean as he grows up and goes to school, I'm I'm sure he's gonna get tormented. But you know. At the end of the day, it's it's not for us to decide whether his name was Archie or Jughead or <laughs> Dick. It's still a name, you know? It is. So let's be happy for him.
0: Hey, I love that outlook. Lance, thanks for the call. Thank you. Have a great day. That is a great name. Lance, and hey, let's schoolyard this one. Can you do anything with Lance? I don't think so. Lance Romance? Well, okay. Call me Lance Romance all you want. Five one nine six four three twenty two twenty two Al. Al. How are you, you doing,
6: Mike? Good, thanks. Hey, a hey, uh, couple things. I don't, I don't mind my name. Mine's Alan because nobody really seems to ever spell it properly. Like, they either spell it A-L-L-E-N or A-L-A-N, but I'm A-L-L-A-N. So they never spell it right, so I kind of like that because I can always say, what, are you stupid? You don't know how to spell a name? <laughs> but, but anyways, if I ever had a, a girl like in, you know, had a baby girl, Mm -hmm. I would either go Celine or Mystique, two names that are not very popular, but they're very well-known names. And my other question is, well, two things. First, I call lots of people Richard because they say, why are you calling me Richard? I say, well, use the short form and you'll know what I think about you. You know what I mean by that That's (laughs) hilarious. And Archie, but where, is there anybody that's Googled the name Archie? Is there like any British History to that name, like rulers or anything, because do the does the royal family not usually bring up names that are dominant in history at some point? Normally, and,
0: you look back and you you take the name of a king or something like that. And right. yeah, King
6: Archibald is not in the British line, that's for sure. But could he have been a a very prominent like battle person? Or do you know what I mean? Yeah, mm-hmm. there's there's got to be a symbol to it somewhere back there for them to use it because I'm sure the Queen would have had. Uh, total fit if it was a name that did not have any actual historic meaning to it.
0: No doubt. Well, there is Archibald Douglas, the Earl of Douglas and Wigtown. That's what jumps up right away because we did look at this in the newsroom earlier and that's what we found. Archibald yeah. Douglas Earl of Douglas and Wigtown. I don't know did this guy do anything big? Did he lead a battle? I'm not sure, but uh he he sure rocked Wigtown. We know that.
6: Yeah. Yeah, because you know they're looking at the same thing we're looking at. Why would anybody call their kid that name? So they've got to have a symbol to it. There's got to be something in their history why it's so popular.
0: Here is hoping uh, that they come forward with that at some point.
6: Yeah, yeah, hopefully.
0: <laughs> Al, thanks thanks so much. I will never misspell Al, I promise. And you know what? I won't misspell the way you spell Alan. Promise. (laughs) Thanks, Mike. Take care. Bye-bye. 519-643-2222. What's in a name to kick off London Live? Helen, how are you?
1: I'm good. How are you? Good, thanks. Okay, my name is Helen, as you know, and I don't like it. And uh, my second name is Elaine, and I would prefer that much better. Or Elizabeth, and then you'd get Liz or some horrible thing. But uh, Elaine is a good name, and that's what I'd rather be called. Okay. But I've always been called Helen. But uh, but the worst thing is my sister's name was Nellie. And if my mother had to give me that name, I would have changed it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just because you don't like it.
1: Oh, my God, that's a horrible name.
0: Well, Helen, you can always be Elaine on London Live, okay? You always can.
1: Okay, thank
0: you. All right. You have a great day.
1: You
0: too. One more call on this, and then we've got a few things to get to on the show. And that last call on what's in a name. David, it belongs to you.
7: Hey, Mike. Uh, one of the, well, you talk about the great names of all time that you want to wreck your kids. Well, Frank Zappa called his daughter Moon Unit and called his son Dweezel. so I think that probably sets a precedent <laughs> that's unparalleled. Isn't Moon Unit a boy's name? I thought, yeah, yeah. don't you know? I don't know. Depending on the crater, it was named after, I suspect. <laughs> you know, and, and the, uh, the other great, when you talk about Archie, it, it's a very bewildering name. Now, if you've ever seen the movie A Fish Called Wanda, the name of John Cleese's character is Archie Leach. And that was out of an homage, because that's the real name of actor Cary Grant. And he hated the name, and so did Hollywood. No so way. He changed, so he changed his name from Archie Leach to Cary Grant.
0: No way. And Cary Grant's one of the coolest names in Hollywood. I had no idea that wasn't an original name.
7: No, and that's why John Cleese, because he was a British actor, uh, took his took that name as an homage to Cary Grant.
0: That's amazing.
7: What a well, great story. Yep. And that's kind of neat when in the final one, a friend of mine had a daughter, and at work, the, a lady said, Oh, um, you, you had a girl, did you? And he said, Yes. And he said, Well, what's the name? And he said, Alexandra Noel. And she was, oh, that's very pretty. And then finally a couple days later came up to him and said, okay, I give up. How do you spell Alexandra with no L? But she didn't realize, you know how you say it's Karen with an I or Karen with an E or Alan with an She thought he was saying Alexandra with no L. And instead her middle name is N-O-E-L, Alexandra Noel. Oh, I get it. But she'd she'd misinterpreted and said, okay, how do you spell that name without an L? I don't get it. (laughs)
0: Now, this didn't mess up a birth certificate anywhere along the line, did it?
7: No, no, because it's on the birth certificate as <laughs> Alexander N O E L. But when he expressed it to her, he said it quickly Alexander Noel.
0: That's so. amazing. David, thanks for the call. Thank you. Bye <laughs> bye. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back with more on London Live. We are going to be talking about wild animals as pets. It was a story out of the Montreal area. And it could have happened here had we had backyard chickens. We don't have those. But it deals with people who bring chickens home and then wind up abandoning them and giving them to basically the SPCA or the Humane Society. What is a humane society going to do with a chicken? No idea. A couple of emails before we go. Jude says, love my name, and you should. It's a fantastic name. Uh, He says, but his daughter's mom wanted to call her Crimson. Interesting. He said, no way. That's a name where your career involves glitter and a pole. We settled on Jade. I like it. All right. And Rose says, uh, one of my closest friends is Archie. For the little royal? Nope. Don't like it. We'll take a break. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. One more email on what's in a name. And this one comes from Sam. Sam. And Sam has a piece of advice that we definitely need to share. Sam says, Mike, I'm a teacher. I would like to recommend that anyone who plans to be a teacher name their children before they actually go into the profession. I was three years in, and when it came time to have my kids, my husband and I would talk about names for children. And every single name that was mentioned seemed to bring up a thought of a child that I'd met at my school that I really... Didn't want my child to be like it all. We settled on a name eventually, but it wasn't the easiest task in the world. You're right. Naming children is hard. I hadn't thought of that. If you're a teacher, you come in contact with, oh, there's the, that was the nose picker. Nope. Don't. All I can think about when I think of that name is the kid who picked his nose. Can't have that. Oh, that was the kid that kept rolling around on the bathroom floor. Can't, oh, we can't have that. That was the kid that kept picking up dead things outside and bringing them into the classroom. We can't name our child that. It'll make me think, maybe there's, there's magic in the name and our child will bring dead things into the house. We can't have that. I don't enjoy dead things in the house. Sam, that is a fantastic piece of advice. Archie Harrison... Mountbatten, Windsor. It's a fancy name. Will he go by Harrison? Will he go by Archie? Will they just name him Bob for short? I don't know. It's kind of up to the royals. As Lance pointed out, it's up to the parents. Let them do what they do. Next, we are going to be talking about wild animals as pets. Chickens in Montreal? Yeah, they've been dropped off at of the SPCA. We don't have backyard chickens here. If we did, it probably would be an issue for the Humane Society. But we'll talk about issues that do come up. And if we can, because we're talking with Brian Salt from Salt Haven, we have to get him to tell the goose story. You know the goose story? Wild animal sent back into the wild after it hadn't been able to exist in the wild. It's a great story. We'll see if we can do that. Uh, Brian Salt comes up next on London Live. We have news with Jacqueline LaBelle in one minute. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Coming up in about an hour from now, we are going to be in conversation with Scott Lombardi, who is the captain of the 2013 Sutherland Cup champion, London Nationals. The only time the London Nationals, because this is hard to do, have won a Sutherland Cup in their history was 2013. And he'll take us back to what he remembers from the day of Game 7, the championship. Why will he be doing that? Well, because today is 2019 and tonight is Game 7 for the London Nationals as they try and win a Sutherland Cup. That's a 7.30 puck drop. If you want to be there, remember there's no advance tickets, so get there early, fill that place, make that noise. That's what the Nationals need, and Scott will talk about what it's like to have a full house at the Sports Center at Western Fair. That's a 7.30 face-off tonight. Game number seven, there will be a championship won tonight in London and the Nationals are trying to do everything they can to make sure it is their championship at the end of the day. They're taking on the Waterloo Siskins. In less than a half hour or just about a half hour from right now, we're going to be talking with Mike Rodenberg from Ipsos Canada. Look at how long we have had legal marijuana in this country. It's been since October, so November, December, January, February, March, April, May. I shouldn't have to count on my fingers, but I do. Seven months, that's where we sit. Seven months in. Is that even right? November, December, January, February, March, April, May. I think so. Man, I can't even count on my fingers anymore. It's not been that long, but you know what one of the concerns was as soon as marijuana became legal? There were actually beer companies and alcohol manufacturers and distributors, I guess, Who were really concerned about what might happen, thinking this was going to cut into their profits. So Ipsos decided to ask Canadians and decide whether, or ask Canadians to tell them whether or not they are consuming marijuana as opposed to alcohol, whether they're consuming both, how they're consuming both of those products because one of the things that we do see is marijuana companies coming out with all of these strains. You know, This is named Cherry Boulevard, and this one is... I'm making this up. I have no idea what they're named. Uh, This is named Lightning Sunset. Is that something people are gravitating toward? Oh, you got to try Lightning Sunset, man. I don't know, but Canadians were asked, and we will have answers to that. We will find out whether or not... That does make a difference, and whether or not people are using cannabis or cannabis product as opposed to alcohol when they're sitting back recreationally or going out to have a bash, all those sorts of things. So that's coming up in about a half hour from now. Next up, though, wild animals as pets. You know you shouldn't. What if you find a little baby raccoon in the backyard it has been abandoned? Well, if you raise it from a baby? Can't it be just like a cat? There was that commercial on TV where the woman opens the door and she's not really paying attention. I think it was a commercial for glasses. And she opens the sliding door. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. And something walks in. It's a raccoon. And she shuts the door and off to bed she goes. But what if you found a little baby raccoon? Can't you just bring that in and can't that be a pet? You know, have a skunk? I don't know if you want to have a skunk. What else could you have? I don't know. A badger? What else is there? A groundhog? I don't think you'd want any of those. But... This does become an issue. In Montreal, backyard chickens are a thing. And people are abandoning chickens to the SPCA because they stop laying eggs. At some point, laying hens will do that. And the other problem is they buy a chicken... And it's actually a rooster, so the whole getting eggs out of your backyard doesn't happen, but you're sure awake early enough in the morning to hit the early opening grocery store, so they're abandoning things like roosters. Well, we'll look into whether abandonment of wild animals is an issue around here and get some tips as to what you should and should not do around wild animals. Brian Salt is going to join us next from Salt Haven. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. So, Montreal animal shelters, specifically the SPCA, have had to add chickens to the list of animals that people are abandoning. So they have rabbits, they have cats, they have dogs, but more and more unwanted chickens, believe it or not. Well, the reason being, people are getting them as laying hens for their backyards, and then... They don't do what the people expected, or you know what? Chickens smell. They really do. I look back at this and say, yeah, London could have had backyard chickens, and it didn't happen. Good. Good. Oh, what do you mean? We could grow egg, eggs in our backyard. The chickens could lay eggs. No. you know, Take it from someone who had chickens as a kid. My dad wanted to be a farmer really, really bad, but he wasn't a farmer. However, we did have... Certain farm-type things, like a big, big garden that always needed weeding, apparently. And then chickens. And the chicken coop was not a friendly place to be. It was not a, a place you wanted to hang out. It didn't smell very good. I never liked turning the chickens into meat birds. That wasn't a very fun day. So, the idea of backyard chickens, yeah, no, not in neighborhoods. I'm so happy that London decided not to do that. And now in Montreal, you've got this issue. So, let's look at this issue not from a chicken perspective, because we don't have chickens being abandoned around here, but they would fall into a line of animals that you could put as wild animals, even though chickens, they're kind of docile, but... Except for that one. That always used to get me. Uh, But we have wild animals that are sometimes brought in as what people hope are pets and then abandoned later. Or they try and put them back out into the wild. Somebody who deals with this on a fairly regular basis... Even though this is not what Salt Haven does, they're there to rehabilitate injured animals and rescue animals. But Brian Salt from Salt Haven is going to join us to help understand the wild animal component of our lives, where people decide, this is my pet, and it ends up not being a good idea. Brian, we did talk about chickens. Is that something you run into ever around here? Well, we see some of that happening here, um,
8: not here at Salt Haven, but through Salt Haven where people will phone and they've had an animal for a considerable length of time, and all of a sudden it becomes a bit of a beast, especially with regards to wild animals. You know, they're cute and they're cuddly and look like they'd make great pets, but as they start to grow, they develop those wild tendencies, and they become chewers and biters, and all of a sudden they're not such great pets anymore, so people just release them into the wild. The problem with that is, is that now these animals are ill equipped to take care of themselves in the wild, and they, as a general rule, don't do very well.
0: If we think about a scenario where that might happen, you go out in the back 40 and next thing you know, you come upon a, a baby raccoon or a baby whatever it is and think, oh, no, I've, I've got to take this in. And, oh, well, if it comes in and, and I am able to raise it, it, it'll just be my little raccoon friend. You're saying that the wild is in the wild animal no matter what.
8: Yeah, that's pretty much the case. You know, we see it in all kinds of animals. Actually, Mike, you know, you, well, just look down south of the border in Florida. They have this problem now with boa constrictors in the Florida Everglades. These things are growing to be like 18, 20 feet long. They're swallowing alligators for crying out loud! Like it's just, but that, it's it's part of that problem. People have a pet snake, and the snake is now starting to eat too much, and they don't want it anymore, and out it goes into the wild. And uh, sometimes it'll thrive at the detriment of the natural uh, ecosystem, and uh, it's just not a good situation at all. So people need to think a little bit ahead of themselves as to how long am I going to have this animal? Can I support this animal through that length of time?
0: And really, what does the animal need? If, if it's eating an alligator every couple of days, uh, that, that gets expensive in a hurry and probably dangerous as well. We're talking with Brian Salt from Salt Haven, and we're looking at the fact that animals sometimes come into the possession of somebody who means well, wants to give the animal a new home. In Montreal it was chickens, where people thought, okay, well we'll have backyard chickens. We almost had that here. And next thing you know, the backyard chicken stops laying eggs, or the backyard chicken is actually a rooster and doesn't lay eggs at all and wakes you up nice and early, and they don't want them. Brian, what do you think the the missing link is between real Okay, I can't support this animal or I never should have done this in the first place and finding the right place to release the animal. You talk about people just putting them into the wild. Why wouldn't they call somebody like Salthaven and say, I made a mistake. Can you help?
8: Well, I think it goes right back, first of all, to the fact that, you know, you're dealing with two different sides of the brain here. You know, one is an emotional side and the other is logic and reason. And emotion will supersede logic and reason every time. It doesn't matter what aspect of life you're talking about. But, you know, once a person has had a wild animal for a while, and then they call salt haven, our job here, our mandate, is to rehabilitate sick, injured, or orphaned wildlife. And an animal that is habituated on people or imprinted is not one that is easily returned to the wild. It requires a lot of time, a lot of resources. And if that time and resources is being spent on one particular animal when it could have been used to save maybe a dozen others, um, it's not a wise use of resources on our time.
0: What a great point in that, we don't necessarily think about the the damage that you're doing in in socializing that animal, introducing it to humans. Could it ever go back to being able to support itself in the wild? Well, we have a few examples
8: where it has. You know, we often t- tell the story, the Larry story, Larry the can of the goose, and, and the school presentations that we make. But um, those are exceptions rather than the rule. And uh, in the case of Larry the can of the goose, it took literally hundreds of of hours to get him back where he was even close to being wild enough to be released into the wild. So it's a matter of thinking ahead again a little bit. Even having an animal in your possession for a couple of weeks is not a good thing, especially when they're really, really young, because that imprinting or habituation process, it's almost hardwired after that. And I should mention too, you know, that a lot of people don't realize that having wildlife in your possession is actually illegal in terms of the Canadian Wildlife Service and Ontario Ministry of Natural Resources for a lot of reasons, other than just imprinting. Some of these animals carry uh, zoonotic diseases, uh, parasites. It's not always the things you can see that can hurt you. you know, sometimes those things you can't see can be just as dastardly, and uh, that, those, that's one of the reasons why those laws are in place as they are.
0: Brian Saul joining us from Salt Haven. So, when the Ministry of Natural Resources says wildlife, would it be referring to everything from, say, a, a tiny raccoon all the way up to a, a great big wolf?
8: Well, sure. This time of the year, you know, you got, uh, we, we're getting calls for all kinds of baby animals that have been abandoned or have, are injured in some way having fallen out of a nest. Squirrels, baby birds. Um, raccoons, possums, you name it, it it runs the gauntlet. And the one thing that all these animals have in common is they're so darn cute. So it gets right back to that emotional side of who we are as humans, that nurturing side of us, as opposed to logic and reason. Oftentimes, these animals can be rejoined with mom again and uh, with just a little bit of effort.
0: Brian, thanks so much for this. Before we let you go, just got an email from Kevin who says, I don't know the Larry the Canada Goose story. It sounds like it ends happy, but could you get Brian to tell a synopsis of it?
8: Well, we had a Canada Goose come in to us. Um, This was a few years ago. Had been terribly imprinted. He uh, He was now an adult, but he had some issues. He was. It wasn't that he couldn't fly, and that was the reason why he was brought in, because everybody thought he had a broken wing or something, but he didn't. He, did, he was afraid to fly, and he was afraid of water. He was also afraid of other Canada geese. Now, how screwed up is that for a Canada goose? And that's what we had to, to work with. Long story short, a lot of effort, a lot of time on the part of the volunteers, and we eventually got Larry back into the wild. But oftentimes it doesn't end as a happy story.
0: Brian, thank you for making that one a happy story, and hopefully you've helped to prevent some other not-so-happy stories. Have a great day. Thank you, Mike, and you. Brian Salt from Salt Haven. I often wonder about that. There's the guy who feeds the geese, and I this is nothing against the guy. The guy who feeds the geese at Springbank Park, right near Storybook Gardens. And I've often felt for all the geese, because we have geese that hang out here All winter, ask a Western student about geese. They are kind of, and they always have, I guess, but they're very prominent on the university campus. And then they start laying eggs. And right about this time of year, they get vicious because they're protecting their young, of course. So walking past a goose, it may come at you. And you've got to be careful. Sometimes they'll just sit right over top of a doorway where students go into a building. Um, it's it's one of those things where you got to watch where you step when it comes to Canada geese. But the guy who feeds the geese at Storybook Gardens or just to the west of Storybook Gardens, I often wonder if that's a good idea. Because the geese tend to stay around in winter because they're getting fed. Guy shows up every day. He's the most generous guy in the world spreading all kinds of whatever he's feeding them, goose food. Can you buy that in a pet store? And he spreads that out, and they they eat, and then they don't really have to fly south for the winter. I guess you just kind of make it through the minus 20 stretch that we get every end of February. And my concern is, what about the day that he stops coming? What if he moves? What if he just runs out of goose food? Then what? You've trained these animals that... Hey, it's almost nine o'clock. Where's that guy in the car with the food? Is he here yet? It's like waiting for a pizza. But then he doesn't come. You've trained these wild animals that there is food here. That's all they know. And all of a sudden, you don't show up? Then what? I don't want to see that day. So, very generous act. But at the same time, in my mind, not the not the safest act for the geese, Let's take a break. We'll let you know what's still ahead on London Live. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Earlier this hour, we were talking about what's in a name and our own names. Would you change yours? I can spell mine, so I'm keeping it. Archie Harrison, Mountbatten, Windsor was born. Now, Graham had emailed about Peekaboo Street because... We kind of wondered if it would be a good idea for kids to be able to name themselves. Then you'd like your name. Except when do you do it? You let a three-year-old name themselves? A five-year-old name themselves? As Ron put it earlier this hour, in Big Daddy, the Adam Sandler movie, he lets his son name himself. He names himself Frankenstein. It's a bad name. Don't don't use that name. You'll have to change that later. But Graham said Peekaboo Street. ...was able to name herself, as the legend goes. So, for the last hour, our crack staff's been doing a little research on this. And they have come up with, yes, the Wikipedia page says Peekaboo Street was able to name herself. Her parents actually kind of twisted it and said she was named after a nearby town, Peekaboo, Idaho. But one other source says it's it's just a, a little bit different um, her parents did, in fact, decide when she was born they were going to let her pick her own name, and they actually called her Little Girl for the first two years of her life. And they did have a town named Peekaboo right nearby, and it was named after a Peekaboo native tribe. And so what they said as they were playing peekaboo with her one day, hey, you know what? This would actually be a good name, and we've got the town right nearby. So they named her peekaboo. They told her about what they wanted to do when she was four years old and said, you have the opportunity to change your name if you want to. And she said, no, I like peekaboo, and went on to become peekaboo street. So that is the peekaboo street name story. Up next Has marijuana cut into the alcohol market? That was a concern, believe it or not, from some alcohol manufacturers when marijuana was made legal, when cannabis was made legal in Canada on October 17th. So are Canadians using it instead of alcohol? Are they using it differently than alcohol? Ipsos Reid set to find that out. And we're going to find out what the results were As hour two of London Live begins. First news with Jacqueline LaBelle. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. So how are Canadians using cannabis? You know what's coming. Edibles. That's going to be the marketing stuff. I think that's where things really turn in one of the concerns that the alcohol industry in this country had when cannabis was made legal on October 17th. The concern was, okay, well, if somebody's going out on a Friday night, are they going to consume a bottle of wine? Are they going to have several of our beers? Or are they going to smoke a joint? And they're probably not going to do both. So would this cut into the profits of alcohol manufacturers and distributors? Well, that was something that Ipsos decided they would try to determine. And they decided to take a poll of Canadians to find out how alcohol is being used right now in Canada. And how cannabis is being used right now. Now, this isn't cannabis that falls under the edibles category, because I wonder if that really changes things. So that's not in the research. But that's something that they looked into, and they took a regular old Ipsos survey, as they are wont to do. And we now have Mike Rodenberg, the executive vice president of Ipsos Canada, joining us on London Live to talk about perceptions of cannabis and alcohol. Mike, you've had a lot of numbers to go through on this. When you look at those numbers, what stands out immediately?
9: Absolutely. One of the things that we we look at when we compare the cannabis consumption occasions and compare them to alcohol consumption occasions, cannabis consumption occasions more predominantly are alone consumption occasions, uh, roughly two-thirds of cannabis consumption occasions happen when people are alone, whereas alcohol is much more of a social product, and, and so we see stark differences between how alcohol is consumed and how cannabis is consumed, and, and that makes a lot of sense when you understand, you know, how, uh, how people use cannabis and what they're, they're deriving uh, the benefit from. We ask uh, consumers at the time of consumption what their need state is, and consumption occasions for cannabis are much, much more designed to help people relax and de-stress, whereas alcohol consumption occasions are more about celebration, to pair with food, to connect with others, and that makes a lot of sense when you think about alcohol is a very social product, and lots of people are using alcohol and alcohol consumption to connect with others.
0: What made you, because we've had cannabis legal in this country for a few months now, going back to October 17th, what made you want to look at these numbers right now?
9: Well, one of the common refrains from people in the cannabis industry is that they're going to disrupt other product categories uh, for consumers. And one of the, and one of those product categories that had a lot of interest in from the cannabis com- community is alcohol because there was, is, there is the perception that alcohol is very used, uh, very much used in a party sense and that there might be an opportunity for cannabis to eat into the market share of alcohol. Uh, as time goes on. And, and so we, we wanted to study that to understand the extent to which that disruption will occur or not. So far, what we've seen is there's a little bit of overlap between alcohol and recreational cannabis, but not as much as the cannabis community and the cannabis industry would likely want to see in here.
0: Well, you mentioned the social setting and consumption that occurs when someone is by themselves. If you look at the numbers that Ipsos has, 77% of alcohol consumption is occurring in social settings by the way that, that you did your survey. 57% of recreational cannabis consumption is happening alone. When you look at those two numbers, you deal a lot with numbers. How significant are those numbers? How big are they?
9: Those are huge, huge differences in how people consume each of the two products. And, you know, what I would say to anybody in the cannabis industry is if, if they're looking to disrupt the alcohol consumption occasion, they're going to have to figure out ways to grow the use of cannabis in social situations. Because if they don't, the likelihood of it truly disrupting the alcohol category is going to be very low because people are using the products at different times in different situations with different need states.
0: We're talking with Mike Rodenberg, an executive vice president at Ipsos, and we're looking at how Canadians are using cannabis since it became legal versus how Canadians are using alcohol. So if we take a look at some of the other things that have kind of popped up, there seem to be a, a kind of, why are you using these? And people will talk about craving and culture and rewards and things like that. What did you find from those areas of your survey? Uh,
9: from a, the, the craving and culture, I mean, what I would say around the the. The culture of cannabis is quite interesting because um, some of our previous research in, in the cannabis industry has suggested that consumers, even though cannabis users are, are, are willing to use cannabis, there is still very much a stigma associated with use. Um, uh, some, some research we did last fall suggested that half of cannabis users or those intending to use post legalization would felt like they would not use cannabis, sorry, they would not tell people that they were a cannabis user. And what that, what that tells me a little bit is, and that's another very big barrier for the cannabis industry, because they have to figure out ways to destigmatize the product so that it becomes more socially acceptable than it currently is right now. And, and if they're not going to be able to do that, the likelihood of seeing category growth is going to be very, very challenged.
0: Interesting, where that stigma just exists that, ah, oh, no, 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 I'm not a pot smoker, but hey, I'll have a beer or a glass of wine. That's more socially acceptable.
9: Absolutely. I mean, I, I think the the people, unfortunately, for the cannabis industry, still associate cannabis consumption and marijuana with Cheech and Chong movies and you know smoke-filled VW vans and, and maybe not the brightest bulbs on the block. And, and that stigma... Unfortunately, care is still sticks around with, with the consumption of cannabis, um, and that's obviously not always true. Um, but that but that stigma is highly so did associated with the, the industry and the category, um, and and probably impairs the ability for people to you know experiment and try the category if there weren't a previous, a previously uh, a previous user before legalization.
0: We're talking with Mike Rodenberg, Executive Vice President at Ipsos, about how Canadians are viewing alcohol consumption and how they're viewing cannabis consumption. If you're just joining us, Mike had mentioned earlier that alcohol consumption tends to be found in a social setting. Cannabis consumption, the number is 57% of recreational cannabis consumption occurs when somebody is by themselves. With cannabis, you've got THC and CBD products. Did you break those apart at all in this
9: uh, what we we do we, in in the study we do ask consumers what they're using and how they're using it and why they're using it. One of the things that we know to be true is is a vast number of cannabis consumers don't really know the brand or the strain or the plant type that they're using, let alone whether or not it has C, CBD or THC in it. Uh, generally speaking, people who are consuming for health health reasons are more aware of what's in the plant that they're consuming compared to those who are uh, using recreationally. But the reality is our research has shown that the vast majority of cannabis consumption occasions are happening with uh, a a brand that people simply don't remember or haven't cared to, to find out. And there's lots of reasons for that. Uh, related to the fact that there's still a significant amount of cannabis that's being sourced through the grey market, as opposed to the legitimate retail market, uh, as well as the fact that the brand development in the cannabis space is still very, very new, and they have very limited options to raise awareness among consumers. And so when you place all those factors together, um, our most recent data from uh, a period between December and february of February of this year uh, suggests that forty one percent of cannabis consumption occasions people can name the brand of cannabis that they're using, which means you know the opposite fifty nine percent of them don't know
3: <laughs> and
9: that's a very big challenge if you're a brand manager for a cannabis company. Just because if you can't get people to remember your brand, what is the likelihood that the next time they're in the retail store, you're going to be the winning uh, brand that they choose?
0: Well said. Mike, thanks so much for the research. Thank you so much for the time today.
9: You're very welcome. Mike Rodenberg, Executive
0: Vice President of Ipsos Canada, on Canadians' perceptions of how they use cannabis and how they use alcohol seven months almost into the legalization of marijuana in this country. Legalization of cannabis in this country. I think we need to look at something right now. And, you know, I, I worried way too much. I helicopter parented the introduction of legalized marijuana in this country. I thought, I thought there would be major differences. I thought, I thought there would be more noticeable things I still feel it was brought in too fast, and the government just said, "Uh, we need to do this, and we're doing it now, and good luck. So I still believe that there was a lot of that. The government could have handled it better. But I I now find myself helicopter parenting a little bit more over the second phase. Isn't that what they're calling it? The second phase? The second shift? The second... uh, That's what it is, right? Yeah, second phase. Because they're going to legalize edibles. And I'm apprehensive to be all, oh, eh, oh, oh," because that's kind of how I felt the first time, and then nothing happened. And I hate Boy Who Cried Wolf stuff. Oh, the wolf's coming. (laughs) Ha, 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 made you look. And I hate being wrong in those instances. But when I look at edibles, I look at maybe the next phase of vaping among high school kids. It has nothing to do with vaping. But something like this could replace vaping. Right now, and it was very interesting to hear what Mike said. And if you missed the start of what Mike was talking about, Mike Rodenberg from Ipsos Canada joined us. You can go back. We have a podcast that comes out at the end of every day that has London Live. And you can subscribe to that, and you can listen back to anything that you may have missed. But one of the things that Mike pointed out right off the start was that alcohol is still seen as something that you use in a social setting, and cannabis is something that is used kind of alone. And there were the majority of Canadians, 77% for alcohol in a social setting, 57% for the use of marijuana or cannabis alone, who answered that way. But you want social setting. Edibles will be it, and they will be legal On October 17th of 2019. And the difference is going to be not just, okay, well, you haven't figured out what lightning sunset marijuana is yet or how it's different from Red Canary Road or whatever the names are. It's going to be a lot different because it's going to be cookies. It's going to be gummy bears, gummy worms. It's going to seem different. And it's a whole lot easier to mark that or market that stuff when you look at even there's a pepperoni company, I think, like somebody who makes pepperettes. And they're looking at ways to make cannabis infused pepperettes. So you have something like that, all of a sudden, that takes it into a social setting. You know, if you don't smoke marijuana or you don't bake it into brownies or whatever, or things like that then doing it is different. You're not necessarily going to pick up and say, yeah, I'm going to start smoking pot. Your lungs aren't ready for it. It's not going to feel good the next day, and you might not even do it again. With regard to edibles, I guess it does become like cookies and brownies, but cookies and brownies to a whole new level. When you can see things that are marketed to look good, like candy, like pepperettes, the things you just sit back and chew on when somebody brings those out in a social setting. Let's say you're around a campfire this summer or I guess it would have to be next summer to make it legal. Right. So you're around a campfire next summer or it's a cold winter's night and you're invited over to a house party and you show up and somebody says, hey, want a gummy bear? And you go, what's what's this gummy bear? Oh, you'll see. Just try one. Does this have something in it? You bet it does. Go ahead. And you try it. That's different. That's going to be a whole, that's, that's easier, I think, for everybody to get their heads around. Let's open up the phones on this. 519-643-2222. That's 519-643-2222. Because I kind of feel myself going, ah, edibles, high school students, ah. Am I going to be wrong again? I'll happily be wrong again, because I hope I am. I hope it's a, it's no big whoop. Because when things come in, and they're new to the marketplace, and they're no big whoop, ah, whatever. 519-643-2222, is this a concern of yours? Do you think edibles will completely change the landscape, or am I just sitting back helicopter parenting this? Which I really try not to do with my kids. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We were talking marijuana and alcohol with mike rodenberg if you missed the interview you can hear it on the podcast which comes out later today you can find that apple podcast google podcast wherever you find those favorite shows of yours and one of the things that mike brought up was the fact that with marijuana or cannabis people are not really associating brands just yet and that Really, in a social setting, alcohol is still the way Canadians are going for the most part. And I wonder how that's going to change when edibles become legal. Because they will be gummy bears, gummy worms, chocolate chip cookies, pepperettes. You know, instead of having a cheese tray and a fruit tray, you'll have a cheese tray, a fruit tray, and a... Hey, look, blue gummy bears again. Those were fun last time. But I wonder what happens when... High school kids get their hands on that to a greater extent. I don't know. Am I, am I sounding too much of an alarm here? Because I was wrong about marijuana. I thought there'd be far more of a difference than what we've actually seen. So I was completely wrong there. 519-643-2222. That's 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at Stubbs980. Bob, lead us off on this. Do you think it'll make a difference?
10: No, no, I don't, make. uh, Actually, I wouldn't mind talking a little wild animal pet there later if if I could. I've got a couple stories about that. But, uh, uh, no, I don't think it's a problem. Right now, um, you can buy gel caps right now, you know, I guess which is, you know, kind of considered an edible in a sense. You can take the, you can buy oil. You can take your dose, and you can put it on a pastry, and then you have yourself an instant edible. You don't necessarily have to go through the baking process to have an edible, right? Um, But every every gel cap uh, form or oil form, you know, they have uh, the the content of the CBD and the THC, of course, on that particular strain. You know exactly what's in it. Usually, every gel cap measures one milliliter. Okay, and then one little cap, one milliliter, you get the dose of what it's labeled as in in terms of THC or CBD content or both, you know. So, you know, people just use their heads. It's it's the same, you know, I keep saying, when uh, comparing it to drinking. When you're drinking, you look at a bottle, you say, am I going to drink 40 percent alcohol today or am I going to drink just wine at 13, you know? Uh, or am I going to be crazy and buy 151 rum, you know?
0: And maybe so. it's because we just are used to being able to gauge that, where you say, okay, if I have this many beer, I know that's the state I'm going to be in. If I have three mixed drinks with a shot in them each, I know the state that I'm going to be in. I just maybe it's because we don't have the guideline of here's how I'm going to feel based on how much THC or CBD I'm putting into my system.
10: Well, uh, I take, I've been taking, uh, uh, cannabis for medical reasons for, oh, going on six years now. And I didn't really know anything about it. But what I did is I learned about it. And the companies provide you with a pretty good guideline when you get your product. They give you a pamphlet every time you order a product and it tells you exactly what, what the, what the milliliter capsule or the oil is, blah, blah, blah. And it tells you, to, you know, go slow. So they recommend trying one milliliter see how you feel if it's okay you know you're not having any you know anxiety or whatever uncomfortable feelings the next gig go to two so it's a process over for me anyways it was probably about five or six months until I finally found number one a strain or two that worked for me and a content of THC or CBD that I would feel comfortable with along with the dose and I can tell you that in my experience There were times where I just went over a little bit too much, right? And I documented that. I went, okay, that's it, that's my limit. So I got to take it down a notch, and then I'm okay. So as an individual, you just have to go through that process. But common sense, just start slow, ease into it, monitor how you feel, uh, you know, see how long it lasts, the effects are, and then you'll be fine. It's like anything else. It's like any medication that a doctor prescribes you. They recommend you take this dose. And if you feel uncomfortable, notify your doctor or back off and or don't take it at all.
0: So it is going to take kind of that trial and error period. I just, I think that high school students are going to get their mitts on it because it is more attractive. I think this will have more of of a, a concern or maybe even more of an effect on the general public until we get through that trial and error process. Bob, we'll have to hold the wildlife stories for another time. we got to go for news. Thanks for the call.
10: All right, Mike, take
0: care. We'll take a break. News is coming up next. The captain of the 2013 Sutherland Cup champion, London Nationals, the only Sutherland Cup championship the Nationals have won, Scott Lombardi is going to join us. And he will describe the day that was in 2013. He'll talk a little bit about Kelly Thompson, who we lost in London not too long ago. He was the head coach of that team. And we'll look ahead to tonight. The London Nationals are home to the Waterloo Siskins. Remember, you got to get in the building because there are no pre-sale for tickets. You get there, get in, and be loud, and who knows? We might be selling, celebrating another championship at the end of the day in London, Ontario. This is Global News Radio 980 CFBL. Hey, thanks to everybody who has sent me notes between yesterday and today. With uh, either a picture of their score or just talking about their score on the G1 test, some of you have to be making this up. This, some of you have to have done this twice, or am I just... am I just that guy? My son's getting ready for a G1 test. There's an app. It's called G1 Test. Takes all the questions, randomly picks fifty of them, gives you a sample test. So I took it. I got eighty-two. Not bad. That's an A. Nope, that's a fail. You're only allowed to make seven mistakes. So Wade sent me something that showed a 94% score. Wade, congratulations. Next time we're driving anywhere together, you're driving. How'd I get 82? I read one of the questions yesterday. Some of them are hard. Seriously, I'm not making that up. 94%. Uh, John got a 94% uh let me go back rick sent me a note last night he actually got a hundred but he didn't send me a picture of it john and wade both sent me a picture of their actual score so rick i don't believe it until i see the actual score g1 tests are hard i still think we need more testing i still think every 20 years or so we should have to take something wouldn't cost a lot maybe it could bring down the amount of money we have to spend for a license ticket just kind of spread it out our little sticker Look at what that's up to right now. What's that, 124 bucks? 128? Might even be more than that now. Ridiculous. Used to be 80 something. So every 20 years, we write a little written test. You could do it online. You wouldn't lose your license, but it would be a good money grab and it would be a good refresher. I'd be up for that. Progress, isn't it? Kind of like this. Do you have a video doorbell? You've seen these, right? They're more popular, I think, in the States than they are here, but they have the Ring Doorbell app on them. And essentially what it does, it's got a little camera and it hooks up to an app on your phone. And if somebody's at the door, you can see whether or not you want to answer it. And I don't know whether they marketed this as being, hey, there's a lot of home invasions out there, be safe, but they may have. Or you see somebody who's there and they're just selling you something or bringing you something or whatever. That's that's picked up again, hasn't it? I don't know why. But a couple who had a ring doorbell app and was from New Jersey actually had their lives saved. Was very early in the morning, far earlier than you would ever get out of bed. And their app went off. And so one of them reached to see who would be at our door at this time of day. What is going on? And they could see smoke. Smoke had actually set off, there'd been enough smoke because their entire garage was on fire and their house was about to be, that the smoke had set off the motion detector and that had alerted them through the app. They got out of the house, they lived. Their house did not fare very well, but they survived thanks to the Ring Doorbell app. Up next, with the London Nationals set to take on the Waterloo Siskins in Game 7 of the Sutherland Cup Championship Series, we're going to go back in time the captain of the championship team for the London Nationals in 2013 the only time they have won the Sutherland Cup in their history joins us next on London Live this is Global News Radio 980 CFPL tonight 7:30 sports center at Western Fair District game 7 nationals and waterloo the London Nationals won the Sutherland Cup as they will be trying to do tonight back in 2013 And the captain of that team was Scott Lombardi, and we're lucky enough to talk with Scott Lombardi right now. Scott, 2013 doesn't seem that long ago. It has been six years, though, right? When you think back to that, what stands out right away?
5: Um, Just remember the um, kind of the process um, as as to to getting to that point. Um, I mean, we had a very, very tight-knit group. Um, Everyone seemed to get along, and – it, it was a great experience. Like you said, we were kind of the first ones to get to that point um, in, in the Nationals' history. So uh, we, we decided amongst each other that we weren't going to let that one slip away from us. So we were willing to do whatever it took um, to, to, to push it to that Game 7 that we needed and, and bring it back home for a chance to win.
0: Things so similar this year to that year in that you were down 3-2 in that series. You had to win Game 6.
5: Yes, we were you know what I think it's almost identical as to uh the group they have this year. We were down 0-2 to start, um forced a game 6 on the road in Cambridge, um like these guys did in Waterloo the other night. Um and fought our way to uh to a game 7 back on home soil. So, um hopefully the comes the same. Do you remember the day of game 7 at all? How do you pass the time? Yeah, um you know what, we actually have a pretty large uh a texting group from a, a lot of the guys that were on that team and we, we were kind of talking about it um, a few days ago actually just because it's obviously that time of the year but um, it, it, I mean it, it was some of the best days of my hockey career I can, I can speak for myself I think some of the others as well um, just to have a game seven um, with such a tight group and um, come out on top uh, it's something I myself will remember forever as long or along with the other guys too.
0: Take us into the dressing room before that game. Is it quiet? Is it loud? Is it no different than any other game? What's it like?
5: Um for for us it was I mean it was kind of business as usual. Um Kelly, um Thompson obviously had kind of been there before um, with the Knights in 05. Um, and I mean he was instrumental in, in kind of keeping us in check and keeping our heads in the game and um that just kind of followed through but i mean yeah there, were, there was obviously a little I, I think the intensity was a little more ramped up uh, a little more nerves obviously with such a big crowd that had uh, come out to support um but we we weren't gonna let that one slip away on home soil like i said
0: when you step out onto the ice you've got that big crowd you've got that that game seven atmosphere uh, how long does it take until it becomes any other game because most games do
5: yeah, no, that's fair. I would say, um, you know what? Probably once everyone kind of gets a shift or two in, you know, makes a nice pass, gets a hit, um, whatever they need to do to kind of get involved and get themselves in the game. I, I would suspect probably after a shift or two, they'll they'll be ready to go. Um, might be a little bit of nerves, like you said, just because of the crowd and and the pressure um, that's on the line. But once you're out there, you kind of block all that stuff out and uh, you just do whatever it takes.
0: The captain of the Sutherland Cup champion London Nationals in 2013, Scott Lombardi, joining us as we look back in time. Remember the Nationals in Waterloo play Game Seven tonight, seven thirty at the Sports Center at Western Fair District. There is no pre-sale of tickets. We've had a lot of calls about that. So you get to the door, you get your tickets, you get in, and be as loud as you can be when that rink is full. What's what's it like? It, does it does it reverberate around? Do you notice the crowd?
5: Yeah, it's, it's awesome. We uh, Like I said, we, we talked about that amongst all the guys. Um, well, That's something we'll never forget, just seeing that arena filled. Um, I believe people were, were standing at, at some point, too. So um, It was packed. It was loud. It's awesome. It, it's pretty much everything you kind of dream of as a local London kid. When
0: you go through the way that that game went, what do you remember from the actual goals and, and the, the actual hockey of that game?
5: Yeah, it was a um, you know what it was a it was a tight knit series. Um, both both teams were were very very skilled offensively and defensively. Um, I I do remember Taylor Edwards, our goaltender. I, he was he was lights out. I believe we had the edge there for sure. Um, but it, it, it was close. Um, game seven was was intense. It was pretty back and forth. Um, tr- both teams trying not to make a lot of mistakes. And uh, one thing I remember for sure was when Noah Schwartz kind of scored with just a few minutes left to kind of ice it. Um, uh, Something I'll never forget, but uh, what what a great experience and um, very, very happy to win with the group of guys that we did.
0: The time ticks down on the scoreboard. Take us back to that moment.
5: Yeah. Um, again, something I'll never forget. We were um, we were an older group. We had a few twenty year olds, and we had kind of uh, known that this was, you know, some of our last draws at uh, at the game of hockey um, at a very competitive level. So um, our our mindset and our focus was to to go out and win it for those guys, and uh, that's what we did. It was uh, it was exciting. Um, yeah, great, like I said, to celebrate with those those uh, players that I did.
0: You hold the trophy over your head. Being captain, you got you got to do that right away. You got to be the guy called forward. Uh, to look at how long the road is to win a Sutherland Cup, can you describe what it's like to actually put a trophy like that over your head?
5: Yeah, it's um, I've said before, it's, it's everything you kind of dream of. Uh, the season's very, very long. Long process, a lot of ups and downs, injuries, adversity, you name it, you're, you're facing it. So, um, to to be the captain and to uh, to get the call to lift that trophy in my head was was an honor and uh, I, I definitely wouldn't have been able to do that without the help of uh, our coaching staff, management, ownership, and the rest of the players. So it was uh, it was a team effort and um, probably the closest group of uh, people I've ever played with for sure.
0: Scott Lombardi, captain of the 2013 Sutherland Cup champion London Nationals. You had to say goodbye to Kelly Thompson, sadly, a couple of weeks ago and and it seemed like the entire team from that Sutherland Cup Championship team
5: was there. Yeah, and that's um that, that's that's what he would have wanted. Um he's he was an amazing person, amazing coach, um, but most importantly to us, he he was a friend to to a lot of us. So um the amount of stuff we learned through him, um, was stuff that we'll we'll cherish for the rest of our lives and like I said, um earlier in the week with with a couple of speeches that i had to do uh, and we're champions today so um hopefully those guys today get fired up and that lights a little bit of a spark uh, underneath them and, and they go out there and they can hang a banner as well
0: scott thanks so much for the time did you mean you talked with the the actual nationals of this year
5: yes yes
0: and what did what did you say to them
5: uh, you know, just that uh, you know, we we have to keep going. Uh, that that's what Kelly would have wanted, and and um, you know, we're we're all champions, and we're all brought together here because of him. And uh, without him, I mean, this would have been impossible. Uh, and we just we just have to, to to move forward and live on, and just kind of do the little things that he had taught us through life. Wow, Scott, thanks so much for doing this. Not a problem at all. Thank you for having me.
0: Scott Lombardi, captain of the 2013 Sutherland Cup champion, London Nationals. You want to go to a hockey game tonight? You want to see a championship won? You want to play a role in trying to help the London Nationals to win? 7.30 start time. Doors will open well before that. And there is no advance ticket purchase, so you get to the door and you buy your tickets there, and you get in. Make it a sellout crowd tonight. Seven thirty, Sports Center at Western Fair District. Up next, we will talk about something else happening not tonight, but tomorrow at the Best Western Lamplighter on Wellington Road South. But we'll look at it from a different perspective. It's an open house, a community open house hosted by Maple Leaf Foods. Well, we're going to hear from Rob McNeil from Stop Maple Leaf Violence before we close out. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Maple Leaf Foods is hosting a community open house tomorrow. Providing more information about the Maple Leaf Foods Poultry Facility in London, someone who's had concerns about this is Rob McNeil from Stop Maple Leaf Violence, who had actually put an appeal forward, and he joins us now to update that. Rob, let's get caught up. What happened last week?
2: Okay, so we finally got an answer back from the Ministry of Environment that, uh, as expected, they were denying our right to appeal the uh, applications that Maple Leaf had put in.
0: And it became as simple as that. Is this kind of a little short email you got? Did it come in the mail?
2: Yeah, a short email. The uh, government's very tight with their deadlines, but uh, initially they sent an email saying, hey, because of the holidays, we've been so busy, we need an extra week. They took that extra week, but uh, yes, just got an email saying, uh, appeal, right denied. So when did that arrive? Um, early, early last week. I believe it was, and uh, we noticed that the uh, Maple Leaf Annual General Shareholder Meeting was uh, last Thursday. So we thought, well, let's go and ask uh, Maple Leaf uh, what they think of it all. And so I registered as a shareholder and went down there, um, kind of went into the meeting and uh, challenged Michael McCain. I stood up. He was. They were very gracious. They gave me about ten minutes to speak before they finally uh, <clears throat> asked me to leave. But um, during that, we uh, we challenged. Uh, their position on speciesism, on on their plan to take all these birds' lives, and uh, I personally invited them to the open house that Maple Leaf is having uh, tomorrow night here in London, hoping to get some answers from them. And
0: how do you feel that that went? You say at the end of it they asked you to leave.
2: Yeah, they were uh, continually asking me um, you know, how much longer I needed, but uh, they were open to it. I, I talked to some of the investors about... Uh, why we felt maple leaf needed to make that full transition from killing animals to plant protein. But I think it went very well. I shook his hand afterwards. Um, Yeah, it was a good dialogue.
0: Okay, so they ended up being receptive. This wasn't just, hey, you were standing up, you were saying something that they didn't want to hear, and that was it. They were receptive to what you were saying.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure that they wanted to hear it, but certainly their principles uh, include uh, these three things, do what's right, learn and grow, and dare to be transparent. And I think all of those are consistent with... uh, exploring whether Maple Leaf has a position on speciesism and uh, being transparent about their plans. So what happens now? Well, uh, we are moving on with the Facebook campaign, the Stop Maple Leaf Violence uh, Facebook campaign, if you search for that. We have an email sign-up tab. We are planning to be there peacefully at the open house tomorrow night to offer a different perspective than than what Maple Leaf will be presenting to anyone that would uh, care to talk to us. Uh, I've sought and obtained delegation status on the Advisory Committee for the Environment for the City of London, so I hope to explore with the city the the whole process that the city went through with Maple Leaf and how we could uh, avoid it being so secretive in the future. There are a bunch of fronts, but primarily our focus is now moving on to the animals, to challenging Maple Leaf and Canadians in general on the recognition of chickens or any animals as individuals that have a right to continue their lives.
0: Rob, thanks so much for the update on this.
2: Thanks for the opportunity, Mike. Always a pleasure.
0: Rob McNeil from Stop Maple Leaf Violence. So again, that open house happens tomorrow, and it's being put on by Maple Leaf Foods. It's at the Best Western Lamplighter on Wellington, and it's kind of a drop-in session anytime between 5 and 7, and they will be presenting information and allowing people to learn more about the coming Maple Leaf Foods Poultry Facility In London. We have attempted to talk with Maple Leaf throughout the week. We're still hoping to do that before tomorrow and the Open House to get at least a little bit more information for anybody who can't be there at the Open House as to what they want to present, what they want Londoners to know. So we're still working on that. I haven't given up. In fact, there was a glimmer of hope that we could get that done earlier today. So it should happen tomorrow on London Live. Also tomorrow on London Live, what happens when Apple, for one gets into the credit card game, or Apple gets into even the banking game. This is not just Apple Pay. It's kind of Apple Pay and then some. What does that mean for current Canadian financial institutions? We're going to look at fintech, which is basically financial technology, and where they are advancing to and maybe where some of their goals are. What do they want? to do in the end. How much do they want to control? Would they rather instead of putting your money in a bank or a credit union, you just said, "Hey, you know what this Apple Pay thing is good? I'm going to take my entire savings and stick them right there in Apple Pay. I'll be able to use my Apple Wallet over and over and over." So we'll get the lowdown on how that is progressing in our world. We'll recap what has happened with the London Nationals. That game comes up 7:30 tonight. Pack that place. start time. Doors will open well before that. And there is no advance purchase, so you can't call. Just show up at the door. Nationals and Siskins, game number seven. Somebody's going to win a championship in London tonight. London Live brought to you by Courtesy Ford Lincoln at 684 Warncliffe Road South. Thank you to Andrew Graham for his help. Jacqueline LaBelle is next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL.